0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist, brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, with us. Hi, Chris. What's going on, guys? Hey, uh, did you take a minute to enjoy the new year?
1: Uh, not really. <laughs> it just comes, comes and goes, and, you know, it's... From now until you know July, or even now this year with the Olympic cycle, maybe early August early to mid August, it's just every holiday blends together, you know I just <laughs> you just get used to it and you get kind of numb to it all
2: I want to ask you, Chris, about uh, what many people are thinking of right now with the passing of David Stern, your thoughts
1: you know, I just keep going back to what an incredible legacy now, nobody's going to sit here and say that David Stern was perfect as a commissioner Um, when you preside over two lockouts that had work stoppages and you, you know, quasi own the entity that was Donald Sterling. I mean, Sterling was allowed to kind of stay at the fair too long and Stern has to own some of that. All that being said, I mean, just remember what the NBA was in the early 1980s and The kind of predicament they were in. I mean, just in writing about this yesterday, I I just went back and was looking at a bunch of clips and old SIs and things that people were writing about the NBA back then. And not just the fact that, you know, the 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 TV deals were terrible. You know, 1980, the finals, there was tape delay in Game Six. But, you know, the league was on the brink of contraction. You know, right around the time when David Stern, uh, you know, took over as commissioner, they were going to contract seven teams. Unless they found a way to get a collective bargaining agreement and a salary cap in place, and David Stern, as the executive vice president, was a driving force behind that. And under his stewardship, the NBX added seven teams during his time as commissioner. It's just you know there's one kind of remarkable accomplishment after another that, that, that really speak to the fact that I think he was arguably, at least and maybe inarguably, the greatest commissioner in all pro sports.
0: Chris Mannix is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I've, I'm pretty amazed at how popular he was amongst everybody, including former players. Because if you look around at other commissioners, you know, Roger Goodell obviously comes to mind, but, you know, guys like Bud Selig. I mean, it's not really a position that inspires popularity.
1: No, especially when you have to be uh, a disciplinarian. And, you know, certainly he had plenty of run ins with players today that we look at. The dress code instituted in the was the early 2000s as being a real source of conflict between the commissioner and a lot of players, uh, not just you know an Allen Iverson type. But I remember Tim Duncan was some of the one to wear jeans on the bench back then. But players very much were against that. But one thing I think that players respected was that Stern was always willing to hear them out. I was reminded of this when I had a conversation with Billy King the other day. Uh, Billy, of course, former general manager in Brooklyn and, and Philadelphia, and You know, he was the GM in Philadelphia when Allen Iverson released that rap song, which, you know, had, you know, uh, the the lesbian gay community up in arms, had women's groups up in arms because of the lyrics in that song. You know, Iverson really believed the commissioner was going to come down on him pretty hard, but Iverson went to New York. He met with Stern. He talked to Stern about what he was thinking and where he was coming from with those lyrics, and Stern allowed, you know, Stern didn't punish him any further than just kind of a, a verbal slap on the wrist, and I think that's sort of emblematic of, the kind of commissioner that he was. He did bring the hammer down on you when you broke his rules, but he was, you know, more often than not willing to hear players out.
2: Do you think his greatest legacy is the financial, the economic strength and growth of the league under his guidance, or was no. there something else?
1: No, I, I think that's it. I mean, look, Adam Silver is a David Stern disciple in that way, in that he's all about, you know, the bottom line with the NBA, but, you know, David Stern. Turn the nBA into a money printing machine, and you know there are a lot of different ways he did that, but I think the most significant is that he realized that nBA fans don't root for teams as much as they do players and that's what that's a stark difference between the nba and 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 the other major sports, specifically football, which was king and still is king uh, in the sports world i mean football fans kind of root for the laundry like they they root for the, the the teams and the helmets, and it's less about the players than the jerseys and and you're a Cowboys fan more than you are, say, a Dak Prescott fan. But in the NBA, it's different. And Stern realized early on that it shouldn't just be the Knicks versus the Bulls. It should be, you know, Patrick Ewing versus Michael Jordan and all those kinds of matchups, you know, in the, in the NBA. Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. That was certainly a signature of the NBA during Stern's time. He, he recognized that players needed to be promoted above teams. That, that was a big driving force for the NBA becoming this moneymaker that it is.
0: Chris Mannix with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Talking a little bit of uh, jazz basketball with you now, Chris. Uh, Kind of the theme around here, uh, now that the Jazz are going through a little bit of a soft spot in their schedule, was, you know, is this improved play for real or not? And then they go out and beat the Clippers. What are your thoughts on how the Jazz are playing right now?
1: Well, any win over the Clippers is is huge, and that's got to be big for a team that's been been up and down over the last you know, month well, really the whole season, actually. I mean, not this last month or so. Yeah, you know, the way I look at the Jazz is I still want to believe in them, you know, until you – know, I want to believe in them until we really see that, that Mike Conley can't work, until Mike Conley gets two months, three months in that lineup and, and gets the playoffs and, and gets an opportunity to play at that level. Everything else is kind of – you know, it's sort of micro, uh, micromanaging to a degree. Looking at the little things they do, the three-point shooting, the bench stuff, you know Rudy Gobert's defense. Is he taking a little bit of a step back on uh, as a, as an all star type player? Everything sort of hinges on Mike Conley's ability to to be the Mike Conley of old. If he gets some momentum going into the playoffs, that that's a team that's still going to be reckoned with. A team nobody's going to want to play in the first round or beyond. If if it continues to be you know when Mike was playing early in the season, more of the same thing: the the poor shooting, the inconsistency, the inability to fit in in that group. It, it just they're just not going to be the threat they hope to be. So not, not to put too much pressure on one player, but to me it really is going to be defined by his ability to be the guy we saw last year.
2: And we've talked with you, Chris, in the past about Donovan Mitchell, watching his growth. He is, he is transforming his game into all-star quality. I mean, I don't know if anybody could yeah. watch 10 games and watch what he's doing now and not think that.
1: No, I, I agree with you, and, and he's been phenomenal. One thing I like about Donovan Mitchell is that you can almost see him learning in real time. You know, when I watched Jazz games last year, I mean, you guys saw the first quarter of the season, you know, teams realizing who he was and what he could do were just loading up on him and, you know, putting, you know, two bodies in front of him and making him sort of frustrated in that first part of the season. But he kind of learned and he adapted, and he's doing the same thing this year as he's trying to find his way with some new pieces on that team and sort of a new lineup without Derek Favors. He's kind of learning to pick his spots and, being more facilitator at times. I mean, he really is an incredibly smart uh, basketball player that, that I don't think he gets enough credit for. I mean, he's an incredible athlete and talent and all those things, but the way he kind of thinks out there on the floor, I think, is really impressive.
0: Chris Mannix with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, we've asked you a lot over the years about Dante Exum and uh, the Jazz pull-off trade, acquiring uh, Jordan Clarkson, sending Dante Exum uh, out to Cleveland along with a couple of second-round picks. And he's only played a few games for the Jazz, but he's already making an impact. Your thoughts on that deal?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I think the Jazz needed to do something to punch up that bench. and I think we talked a few weeks back about how Exum was really the only way to get better organically, and clearly that wasn't going to work um, on this team and in this year. So Jordan Clarkson, who is a flawed player, I mean, look, there's going to be nights where Jordan Clarkson puts up some just outrageous—and I mean that as a negative—shooting numbers. Then there's going to be nights that he puts up some great shooting numbers. kind of live with the good and the bad uh, with Jordan Clarkson, but he's certainly has a higher ceiling this year as it's somebody that could help this team, um, you know, as they get towards the playoffs and in the playoffs uh, with this group. Now Exum. You know, it's, it's, I'm glad he's getting a different opportunity. It's kind, I feel kind of the same way about Exum as I did about Markel Fultz when he got traded. You know, Fultz was never going to be the player that, that he set out to be in Philadelphia. There was just too much baggage, too high a draft pick, too much everything kind of going on. I started to feel the same way about Exum. Just injury after injury and the pressure of being that high draft pick and getting a new contract. Now he gets to go to Cleveland and maybe he'll never live up to the potential he had as a rookie and in that first summer. Uh, before he uh, tore up that ACL, but at least going to get an opportunity in a very low-pressure environment where he can kind of grow organically uh, in that role. So I, I think it's a good. I thought it was a good deal for both teams. The Jazz get somebody that can help them off that bench and scoring-wise, and and Exum gets a chance to kind of reboot his career.
2: I tell you, Chris, I think you are hitting the nail on the head there with that comment because, you know, in all your years of covering the NBA, that environment can really make a huge difference for individual players. Their attitude, their the way they're used, the way they approach the game, and I think that's a absolutely bang-on with both of those players. I think both will thrive in their new setting.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're seeing it to a degree with Markel Fultz. I mean, he is... He's almost a, a rookie this year, in that it's his kind of full season, first full season with a team when he's healthy, and he's having an, an, a solid rookie type of year. And I think he's only going to get better in that system. I mean Exum, you know, we already you know—I haven't followed him that closely since he got to Cleveland, but when you hear John Beline say he's going to play, you know, 30 minutes a night, that's going to be great for him and get an opportunity to to go out there and and be that guy. I think I think a big part of it is that he's no longer going to be Dante Exum high lottery pick in uh, in Cleveland. Just Dante some player they got for Jordan Clark tonight, and you'd be surprised how much pressure that takes off a guy.
0: Chris, uh, we we saw Sports Illustrated put out uh, bold predictions, and a number of uh, of writers there at SI put out their bold prediction for the 2020s. Uh, talk about your bold prediction, and I gotta say I really hope it doesn't hit. It's a doozy, man. <laughs> I, I do love the San Francisco area radio stations where I see them
1: on Twitter tweeting at me and, you know, <laughs> using this as content. The James Harden to the Warriors next year for D'Angelo Russell and the likely top five pick that the, uh, that the Warriors have. I mean, look, it's, it's supposed to be a bold prediction. It's supposed to be kind of out there a little bit, but there's a part of me that could see it, you know, to some degree. I mean, the Rockets right now I think are fourth or fifth in the Western Conference. I don't think anybody looks at them and says that's a team that's a real championship contender. They're a cut below – uh, the top-tier teams in the Western Conference. And if they get beat in that first round, there's not a lot of flexibility there to get better. And the Warriors, they could present somebody with a really unique uh, you know, type of trade package. I mean, they've got D'Angelo Russell, who's 23, 24 years old, and you know, having an all-star type season. And they might have the first overall pick in the draft. So if you're Daryl Morey, who's always been kind of a gunslinger as a trade guy, and you see this opportunity to get yourself an all-star point guard and maybe the first pick in the draft to kind of rebuild your team while getting off that Harden contract and selling while it's still high, don't you have to kind of think about it? If you're you're Golden State, yeah, you'd be a little smaller than you were with Kevin Durant, but, I mean, Steph, Clay, and James Harden, I mean, I don't know how you get much better offensively than that group, and Steve Kerr has always been the type of coach that can make anything work when you put them together. So, I don't know. I mean, look, it's it's very out there, and certainly the the Rockets' season could change everything, but I... I, it's not something I think is so outrageous that it could never happen.
2: So now that you've wet our whistle, a oh wise one, the Oracle, Chris <laughs> Mannix, what else can you see? I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you see anything else on the horizon that, that uh, you know could happen uh, in the NBA that might surprise some folks?
1: I don't know if there's anything that would surprise people. I, I do think in the kind of short-term perspective, you're going to see – at the very least, a very talkative trade deadline. I mean, as you guys know, there's there's probably six or seven teams right now that are looking in the mirror, saying we are a championship level team, and if we can get an upgrade, you know, at one position, we're gonna be we're gonna put ourselves in a position to win the whole thing. And you know, that's why the report that Darren Collison considering a comeback is so significant. I mean, Darren Collison was a really good player last year. When you look at the contract signed by Ricky Rubio and others, he was probably gonna get you know, $10 million per year on the free agent market. If he winds up in, you know, with the Clippers or Lakers, that could tilt the scales one way or the other. Similar in in Boston. I mean, the Celtics are playing great. If they can find their way to get a Mark Gasol type or a Clint Capella type or somebody else to to shore up that front court, they can really compete with Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. So I I expect a lot of activity around the trade deadline amongst teams that, that really believe that they're one player away from winning the whole thing.
0: Uh, Chris, tonight the Jazz take on Chicago, and uh, the head coach of the Bulls, Jim Boylan, you'll remember, spent uh, several unspectacular years here in town coaching the University of Utah. How was how was is he how is he a head coach in the NBA?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, last season was a disaster, you know, for Chicago. They you know almost had a mutiny early in Jim Boylan's tenure as the the interim head coach, and the Bulls thought it was they saw enough that. You know, he they gave him that contract extension. Now I don't think he's being paid a lot in comparison to other head coaches. I think that's, you know, maybe part of the the thinking behind the Bulls there. But for some reason, you know, John Paxson, Gar Foreman, they believe that a disciplinarian is what's needed with that young team and you know, Boylan is, is nothing if not that for sure. So he's got some good pieces on that roster. Zach Levine I think is has kind of an all star vibe to him, you know, down the line, but yeah, you know, he's. He, I don't know. I mean, if you're making a, a power rankings of NBA coaches, I don't know. I don't know too many people that would, keep, you know, put Jim Boylan outside of that
2: bottom third. If you had to pick a, a champion right now, who do you think is the best team in the NBA, Chris?
1: Look, until Kawhi Leonard loses in the playoffs, I'm not betting against Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you just this guy in in a postseason where he can get two days off between games. I mean, I, I just don't. I don't know how you stop a team like that. I mean, they're so good defensively with, with Patrick Beverly and George and Leonard. They can lock anybody up on the perimeter. And, look, even if they lose out of home court uh, against the, the Lakers, the Clippers go into the playoffs thinking, like, if we play, play L.A., it doesn't matter where it is. We're not going to have home court. I mean, Clippers games, in, if the Clippers at home court, it's going to be full Lakers fans. So what do they care about home court advantage in a conference finals? They're just, they're just too good. And that's another team, I think, that's going to make an upgrade, whether it's Andre Iguodala. Um, before the trade deadline Darren Collison before the trade deadline Um, there's just a lot of ways they can make that one small upgrade it's going to make them a real champion
2: well Chris we know you're single minded in your coverage of the NBA but we hope somewhere along the way you can appreciate and take advantage of the new year my friend
1: yes I will do my best I'll celebrate it like August
0: 15th with with everybody else in the NBA (laughs) yeah exactly thanks Chris you're the best you got it guys Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. I'd like to just break down on the Exum, uh, Jordan Clarkson thing. Yeah. It's really what that trade boils down to, is that Jazz needed something right now. And right now, Clarkson's going to give you a lot more than Dante Exum is. I've talked to
2: some people around the Jazz and inside the Jazz, and I think they are optimistic that this guy can be more than what he's been in the past in this particular setting. And think about it. Think about the way the Jazz have been capable of developing certain players. Not every player, but certain players. I think, how old is Jordan now? Uh, Let me double check. He's Uh, only been in the league like three years. I just think, I I understand he's, he he was with the Lakers for three years, wasn't he? Uh, And then he's 27. It's not too late for that guy to... To evolve into something more than what he's been in the past, and I know people look at him as a scorer, and he certainly has scoring capability. There is no doubt about that. But man, if he, if this kid will listen to Quinn Snyder, I think he can, he can have the. You'll see the kind of improvement with him that we've seen with Joe Ingles.
0: Well, I, I mean, we will see we we'll see it it seems like under Quinn Snyder it's taken a certain mentality to really thrive under under coach Snyder and we've seen guys not have that and not thrive under coach Snyder like Trey Lyles really comes to mind well i mean so yeah. it it you know if the buy in is high which he was on the show on New Year's Eve by the way and uh, maybe we'll replay that next week because yeah. that wasn't um, it, that was a great interview, but it wasn't a high listenership day. So maybe we'll get into that next next week. But it, it, he's saying all the right things. It would appear that the buy-in is really high, and if that's the case, I'm with you. And if I were his agent, I would be telling him, I'd be
2: in his ear, over and over again. Listen to this coach. This coach can make you better. This coach can make you a lot of money. <laughs> you know, you can you have a bright future beyond what you've done in the past if you can find a way to help this team win and do the things necessary to become a complete team player. And sometimes being a complete team player means that, man, you take that rock and you get to the rack and you shoot the threes and you do do some of the things that we've seen him do over stretches with the Jazz already. But uh, I I think that's going to be a win-win for the player and for his new team.
0: All right, uh, coming up next, we'll get back to our college football discussion. We'll talk a little bit about the Utes. We can mix in some uh, some Cougs as well. We have Not Sportsport coming up at uh, 4.50, and then Jazz Game Night Pregame starts at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. I think people really have missed the Not sports report. Have they?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we're going to try and scratch that itch. Scratch Real deep, something. Yeah. You know, because you want to scratch when you're scratching. When you have got the itch, you want to scratch just to the right level. If you dig too deep, then you know now th- that hurts. You're right. The not sports port is like a bad rash. No, <laughs> it just won't go away. You can't get any relief. Flares up at the yeah. wrong time. You get the right kind of cream. You can you can solve it.
0: Stay and tuned. And
2: if, I'm nothing if I'm not the right kind of cream. More next. 97.5 oh. and twelve
0: eighty. The zone.